For so many, the past four years have been a struggle to balance patience and urgency and a whole slew of other emotions. For SV Date, the senior White House correspondent at HuffPost, he's been at the epicenter covering the Trump presidency and writing his latest book published this past fall called The Useful Idiot. Our families are friends, so this summer, when I saw the now famous video of him confronting Trump about his repeated lies to the American public, this was the Sharish that I knew. The really, really smart Stanford grad whose intrepid skill has helped him write five novels, two political biographies, and serve as a correspondent for the Associated Press and NPR. Oh, and by the way, he's also a seasoned blue water sailor, tallying 35,000 ocean miles, including a two-year trip with his family across the world. I caught up with him this past fall as we reflected on the election, on his journey, and on the landscape of what's ahead. It's a good thing, by the way, it's been a very slow news year, right? I mean, you've been able to kind of relax under the radar. Is that kind of the way it's been going? Or Yeah, reading a lot of novels, just hanging out. Yeah, sure. it's been a, yeah. The, 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 sail, the sailing mindset, so to speak. Exactly. Well, you know, with, um, with the events of this, not only last year, but of the election, and, you know, I'm really curious, will the market on uh, idiocy actually crash in January? Or is there always going to be kind of a market for this kind of uh, tone that, of course, President Trump has set over the last four years? And, and now with the uh, election uh, behind us, w- will there be an end to this? Or are we looking at this kind of thing going on for some time? Well, that's a that's a great question, and, and that's something the Republican Party is wrestling with right now. I mean, there have always been nuts and cranks running for this job, always. I mean, yep. Lyndon LaRouche, nut, right? Uh, uh, Tom Tancredo, who ran it in 2008 for the Republican nomination, nut. The yep. difference was Trump won. Now, that had not happened, and that had not happened previously for a reason. The parties took it upon themselves to make sure that whoever they nominated was going to be a credible president. I mean, you might not like things that they would have done, but they were reasonable in the role of commander-in-chief and then, of course, emergency manager-in-chief, which is what, uh, as it turns out, would have been very important for this president. Right. Right. Right? So, and that failed. That failed completely in in 2016 for a number of reasons. And um, I guess we'll see what happens with the party going forward. I mean, do they... you know, return to that sense of responsibility? Or do they say, well, you know, every man for himself, uh, Mm -hmm. and we'll see what happens. So, and, and I mean, has it ever (laughs) dawned on those either, you know, in the political machinery, or even just in in the public that, you know, why are we so fascinated with this, with the absurd? And, and, you know, why do we have that uh, appetite to consume it, especially when it translates to votes and and the demography of of politics, if you will, I mean, has, there been actually any aside from what you mentioned in the book i mean has there been any sort of genesis or thought about the genesis of this people like explanations of things that they otherwise cannot control and mm. they they like for things to be um done if things are bad happening in their lives they, they would like for there to be another explanation other than their own failings in some manner, right? They, they want there to be a conspiracy that has worked against them over time. And, and that's, this is what makes it so attractive. I mean, yeah. for a large section of the population, um, you know, white working class people in this country have seen their influence diminish over the decades, right? right. The Voting Rights Act, the Civil Rights Act, uh, the Equal Rights Amendment, et cetera, et cetera. Even though it didn't pass, women are now in the workplace um, more so than men in, in many cases. And there's a group of people who feel 
that this is all cheated them somehow of their birthright. Yeah. And they want to blame somebody else. And, you know, the, all the others, others with an O, are being blamed. And that's what right. we're seeing here. So some of this is being driven by societal change, which is, of course, inevitable. That's not going to reverse. And Donald Trump was the most shameless one to take advantage of that. Yeah. Now, you know, what's amazing to me and, and heartening to me is that a lot of people who were, are going to be financially hurt by voting for Joe Biden, right? Because chances are he is going to undo some of these tax cuts. They voted for him anyway for the greater good. And that is that it's impressive. You know, the, all those folks in the in the in the suburbs of the big cities who've traditionally voted Republican and still voted Republican, by the way, down ticket. Mm. They voted against the guy who was going to be uh, putting more money in their pocket, potentially. And that's a good thing. You know, and, and America ought to be proud of that. Well, um, speaking of, you know, the lens that you look at this from <clears throat> and your your days of listening to this kind of stuff back in Rochester, you grew up in an immigrant Indian household with, you know, tradition oriented parents and, and this certainly informed you. How did you end up as a writer, journalist and a sailor back uh, in the 80s when this certainly was not necessarily the normal path? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, there were some discussions between me and my mom on this point, <laughs> as you might imagine. Um, I, I ended up uh, in this path kind of by accident. You know, I was I was at Stanford, and I was a uh, uh, I was a pre med for the first couple of years. In fact, thank goodness I was because those grades carried me through the rest of the four years. Um, and uh, I, what happened was that my friends in the college dorm worked. Many of them worked at the. Uh, at the at the student newspaper and so i went over and I'd, I'd not written for any newspaper ever right in yeah. fact i had taken ap history in um in high school with the idea that if i got done with this and i got a decent grade i might never have to take another <laughs> writing course again or ever write anything again and that's where you know my mind was i was going to be a doctor and and uh, of course i was that's what my parents were and that's what i should be and at some point, I guess, in my sophomore year, I wondered, you know, with, with all the other students who were, who were working toward that same goal, who were very intense, who really were not interested in anything other, some of them, in, in, in anything other than going to med school and, and, right. and coming out with a, a degree in some specialty that would allow them a, a very comfortable life. Did I really want to spend that much more time with these people <laughs> and, and compete against them? Yeah. And I, I, you know, I didn't know the answer. And I thought, okay, well, if I don't know that this is what I want to do, then maybe this is the time to switch rather than eight years from now after finishing a residency. <laughs> right. So, so, um, so, you know, I started working more at the college paper and, uh, and thought about majoring in something else. And the, something else I majored in was, you know, meaningless. It, it was political science. And I mainly did that because it was the easiest one to get. Yeah. It was the fewest courses uh, that were necessary, and it really has not meant anything in, in, you know, in my life to do it over. I wouldn't have done it. Sure. But what did, did matter was the, the student paper. I ended up editing, you know, editor-in-chief at the Stanford Daily, and ended up with an internship after that at the Los Angeles Times, and that kind of paved the way going mm -hmm. forward. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of an accidental career, but one that uh, I think is, especially in today's environment, uh, important you know I, I never thought uh, yeah. covering county courts in Rocha in, in upstate New York in, uh, in um, 
Orange County, New York, um, or in Daytona Beach, Florida, that someday what I did was going to be important for the Republic. I never thought that. I mean, yeah. I knew kind of the broad sense that journalism, the First Amendment are important for a Republic, but not until Donald Trump got up in front of the, the, the memorial wall to CIA when I was pool on his first full day in office and just started mm -hmm. lying yeah. and showed that he had not he was not going to change at all from what he was in the campaign. He was going to be just as dishonest and just as craven. And I thought, you know what, this is, this is a big deal. And these are going to be some tough years coming up. Well, and when you uh, were feeling that way back in your, in your Stanford days, I mean, the word that comes to mind for me is as someone who was maybe peripherally watching that from the side, um, you know, as uh, you know, our families are our friends, um, I remember thinking that the word that comes to mind, even reflecting on that, is intrepid. And as that sort of serendipitous moment of thinking, hey, I'm not going to go into medicine, I'm going to go into journalism, um, has that, that sense of intrepidness, has that propelled you throughout some of these moments of being able to say, hey, there is actually a way to connect the dots here, leading up even to the moment of, of you famously now confronting the president about the lying? Um, has, has that sort of kind of been since those days in Stanford and even now and going forward, kind of who you, who you are? Um, you know, to be honest, I think uh, a lot of that sense came from, uh, I, I, I did a sailing trip back in, back in 1994, 1995. And um, we took a, a very small boat, 30 foot across mm. the Atlantic and spent several months in the Mediterranean and then the Caribbean on the way home. And thinking back on that, I think that was probably when I realized that with with some effort and 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 persistence, you could accomplish kind of a lot, you know, <laughs> with a little bit of luck. Sure. And things, even things that you don't think you would ever dream of doing. I mean, yeah, I always loved the ocean, but I was never a great swimmer even until later. And I certainly knew nothing about sailing growing up. I mean, my you know, my parents are. Uh, from Maharashtra, they don't know anything about sailboats or anything, and, and I never even was even on one until sure. my uh, freshman year at Stanford, and I took a sailing class because we were required to take a PE class, and so uh, <laughs> that's that's yeah. how I ended up there. But yeah, I, getting back from that, I thought, you know, if we can do this one step at a time, one mile after the other, and, and get across the ocean in a thirty-foot boat, that gives me a lot of confidence that. I can do other things. Let me ask you this. I mean, has that <clears throat> sense of being able to explore and process and, and really make sure that you're empathizing with um, the environment that's around you and embracing that, ha has that prepared you and your family for these last four years and particularly the, the COVID environment that we're living in now? Right. Well, I think it it gave a sense that that eventually bad things end, and uh, you know you can be in a gale and the ocean will just look terrifying, <laughs> and um, but it'll pass. Yeah. And a few days later, you might not even be able to tell that it was ever there. In terms of dealing with with a president who is a, a literal danger to the planet, um, <laughs> yeah, you know that's I don't know if anything prepared me for that. Yeah, uh, it, it did help that you know I'm a little bit older. I, I I'm not just out of college, and a lot of a lot of my colleagues had never actually ever covered anything 
other than a presidential campaign. Yeah. And when they started covering the White House, they didn't know what a normal White House worked, how, how a normal White House worked. Sure. And so they didn't know that it, it, it's not normal for the press secretary just to get up there and just start lying about basic things and refusing to you know, release information that is really the public's business. I mean, it's, it's yeah. our money. And, and, and so and, anyway, uh, it, it did, I think, help in, in being able to stand up to some of the nonsense. Which, of course, you know, uh, I was eager to ask that question for years, and um, the, the opportunity finally came this, this summer. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back and talk more with SV that day. Stay tuned. This is Vijay Iyer, and you're listening to Ruckus Avenue Radio. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. My guest today is S.V. Date. You know, your book <clears throat> that you recently wrote, The Useful Idiot, um, was a, a terrific narrative of, of that evolution and, and taking this out into um, the sort of public unveiling of this, particularly in, in the timely fashion that... Um, you know, when it was published being before the election. But what did you perhaps learn about yourself in writing that? Um, was there something that, uh, you know, made you pause as a journalist and, and made you reflect to, to say, hey, this is something that perhaps taking this away, myself, my colleagues, we, we need to do this differently. Um, hopefully, if there's, there's not a next time, but were there any lessons that, that came about from it? Yeah, and the reason I did it was... Um, and, and, I, and I wrote it as quickly as I did, was the day that he got up and, and kind of just started spitballing about injecting disinfectants and somehow getting UV light into the body and so forth. That was, uh, I want to say, April 23rd of this year. Yeah. And it, it struck me that, you know what? All of this has been fun in games, and now <laughs> he's going to get people killed. Yeah. He's literally going to get people killed because he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't care that he doesn't know. And this is absolutely dangerous. Now, the assumption from so many was that the system was big enough to survive, notwithstanding someone like Donald Trump. Mm. And all that is possible, except when there's a real crisis. And uh, March, April, it became clear that, yeah, we do have a real crisis. Um, I did the math on on the way Germany, Germany handled it, how many deaths they had per population, how many we have. And ours are five times as high as Germany, and there's no reason for that at all, other than that we had zero leadership at the top, none. I mean, whether you lived or died is, is more a function of how well your governor handled it, because the president had basically was taking the position that it was all a hoax. And right. it was uh, not real. So, yeah, I, it, it was at that point that I realized not only the fragility of the system in, in dealing with a, 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 uh, a crisis, national crisis or, or a global crisis, but the fragility of democracy itself. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, depends on, it depends on good faith from the people we elect, and it depends on good faith from us not allowing 
things like this to happen. Mm -hmm. And that broke down in 2016. And obviously we showed that we can, we can recover from that, but we need to make sure it doesn't happen again. I mean, (laughs) it's uh, too many things can go wrong and um, the system's resilient, but obviously not that resilient. Well, are we are we vulnerable to that um, going forward, and it, it, irrespective of party, right? I mean, whether it's the Republican Party that that made calculations um, among their leadership to extract a result, are there parallels um, for this on the other side, or, oh. or is, is the is the public now um, you know so eroded with trust and and with chaos in their thinking that you know we are vulnerable to this kind of thinking and behavior in the future? Yeah, I, I think the if there is a silver lining out of this, it's that uh, it will have shown that the system is fragile, mm-hmm. that a constitutional republic it needs to be cared for, that it just is not self-propagating on its own in uh, in good health forever, and and it's up to us to to take care of it. Could it happen again? Absolutely, it could happen again, and uh, we're lucky. In this regard, Donald Trump is an actual idiot. In addition to being a useful idiot for others, <laughs> sure. okay. I mean, he's 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 gotten away with what he's gotten away with because he was born rich. I mean, easiest way to have a billion dollars is to be born with a billion, yeah. and he's proven that. And he's he's basically frittered away a large part of that fortune, but was able to con people into thinking he's somehow this genius, and he's not. And that is his ultimate downfall. Imagine if you had a competent <laughs> and cunning yeah. authoritarian, right? What if he had someone who's actually good at this, sure. uh, wanting to do the things that he wanted to do? He literally wanted to steal this election. In fact, he's still trying. And our saving grace is that he is bad at it. Yeah. He is not good at being a dictator. What would happen if we had someone who was good? And that's the danger. That's the real threat. And maybe this is a wake-up call that we, you know, we need to pay more attention, you know, um, and be vigilant because it can happen here. Well, what do you expect now in in the coming months of the transition? I mean, you better, you're perhaps better than anyone else are, are poised to actually have that perhaps crystal ball uh, into the weeks and and months ahead. Is there an architecture that? is really now, um, you know, waiting to be untangled and, and dismantled, so to speak, in order for us to get back to normalcy? How, how is that going to likely play out now for us? Right. Well, the good news is that of all the people who work in the federal executive branch, only a small fraction are political appointees. Only those at the top, only those sometimes maybe one or two layers down are appointed by the president. And sometimes even those people, after they are appointed, come to see that, you know, there's some wisdom in how we've done this. Just because it's been around for 50 years doesn't mean it's terrible. There's sometimes a reason, a very good reason, why things have evolved the way they've evolved. And so all of that structure, most of that structure is still there for most of the agencies, and they are already cooperating with the incoming administration, and, you know, things will get more back to normal. I mean, I, I think the EPA will actually be interested in protecting the environment rather than trying to <laughs> dismantle protections, right? I mean, I think OSHA will be more interested in preventing uh, workplace injuries rather than trying to get rid of the rules that prevent them. So a lot of the things that were undone because it, it, because uh, the president was beholden to the party and, and frankly, didn't really care who was in mm-hmm. OSHA or the EPA. He just left it to the people 
who had donated money to him, and they, of course, put in the coal lobbyist you know, yeah. in charge of EPA, et cetera. <laughs> so um, that can come back, and it's coming back already. I can already see it. Yeah. Uh, it, it Let me ask you this. I mean, President Biden, President-elect Biden actually uh, ran on the uh, principle of, of restoring the soul of the nation. And are, are there elements of this uh, presidency with Donald Trump that have made ir irreparable uh, damages to the American psyche and now going forward that there is, you know, still a lot of uh, damage to control to be done, but there are elements of this that are just lost for the last four years. Well, there have been things that have been lost for four years, but I think the overall trend is still in a direction that that most reasonable people would be okay with. You know, uh, President Obama spoke uh, a lot about how progress sometimes comes slowly, but that the uh, the moral arc of the universe bends toward justice. You know, that was from sure. uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Mm -hmm. um, and I think he's correct. Right, the same country that voted for uh, Donald Trump had in two previous elections voted for Barack Obama, the first black yeah. president, right? And I remember in 2006, I went to the Miami Book Fair um, and uh, I saw Barack Obama for the first time. At the, he was, let me try to remember. Yeah, he had just been elected to Illinois, uh, to the United States Senate mm. from, uh, or actually he'd been, in, he'd been in office a couple of years by then, I think. Um, but he was a first-term senator thinking about running for president, and I heard him speak extemporaneous, without notes, to a crowd of people who were you know, uh, maybe a thousand in that auditorium. And I called my editor right then. I said, wow, I just, I just saw this Obama guy for, for the first time in person, and you know what? If he wasn't black, he could be president in two <laughs> years, yeah. right? And, uh, and it stunned me that he was able to put together the campaign that he did and get the support that he did from the across the spectrum and win. And yeah. so, yeah, progress is absolutely possible. And so I, I don't I don't think that this is a a total reversal of everything the country has been moving forward for the mm -hmm. last 250 years. Yeah. Um, but it does show, again, that the system is perhaps not as robust as we had um, imagined, that things can go wrong. And we need to pay attention. I think that's what it means. Ah, again, Donald Trump lost, right? I mean, that doesn't often happen to an incumbent. It really doesn't. And so that in itself is a good sign. Sure. Um, my guest today on Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, is SV Date. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your role in a political journalism landscape, particularly as a South Asian um, journalist. Does that identity carry forward? Do you notice that it's carried um, any carrying any attached baggage, or is there a reflection on that as a South Asian journalist that makes it somewhat different? Or um, because you've been doing this for for so long and have that experience, how has that experience led you to now having the wisdom and and the guidance, perhaps for others who are coming along the way? Right. You know, to be honest, I, I've never even thought of myself as a South Asian journalist, right? I was born in Pune. I mean, I was I was three years old before, you know, we moved to the States and English was, a, a I guess, a third language for me right. when I when I learned it. Yeah. But over the years, uh, you know, I, I, I don't have uh, an Indian accent. Uh, if I have an accent at all, it's 
probably now somewhat of a Floridian one because I spent <laughs> right. 20 years there. Yeah. But it, it, so, it, it, you know, in, in that regard, it never did. Um, it's funny because in the White House briefing room, there was, there still is. Uh, well, I mean, with COVID, there we're not doing briefings anymore to that extent. Sure. And the, when the room is there, it's you know, it's in a on a in a pool situation basically. But there was this journalist from from an Indian newspaper, and it was kind of a running joke because uh, whenever the press secretary needed to bail out, was getting questions that you know he just didn't like, they'd go to him, and he would invariably <laughs> ask a question about. You know, India Pakistan relations, and isn't sure. Pakistan really bad? And are you know, right. and it, it, yeah. this is ridiculous. And then that was a go to thing to get out of trouble. <laughs> um, so, I, and sometimes I wonder maybe that's why uh, Donald Trump called on me because he thought I was going to ask a question about Pakistan. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you were the bailout, sure. right? Exactly. Yeah. I was the bailout. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I, that's really never even been part of of uh, what I've even I've ever thought about really. Sure. But it is interesting now with uh, Kamala Harris as the potential next Democratic nominee for president. I mean that yeah, you know it's something that that uh, I think Indian Americans can uh, look to think. You know what we're we're a big part of this country now, and yeah. it's something to be proud of. Well, with that same pride and and now representation with the vice president elect, I mean, have you noticed that uh, perhaps in in the field in in the arena of voices that are out there that among your colleagues that you see any more uh, South Asians or those of South Asian origin um, kind of permeating into this field? A little bit. I mean, I noticed uh, coming into D.C. in um, in Florida when I was there for so many years, I was one of maybe a handful mm-hmm. at most. Uh, here in here in Washington, there's there's a lot more. Uh, uh, Manu Raju is is uh, on CNN and sure. Um, Sahil Kapoor is I think with NBC now. He was at Bloomberg for a long time. So you know there there are a lot of folks who um, are from are from India or whose parents were from India. I guess is more yeah. accurate. Or maybe whose grandparents were from India. Oh, there actually. you go. Right. Um, so you know, it it, it it in very soon, I think it'll be to the point where it's it's not even remarked upon. Well, you and know, hopefully and, not, and, and hopefully not simply being the bailout question for for those. Oh, absolutely right. And and I and I hope that uh, press secretaries going forward understand that there can be a dangerous question from somebody you go to as a bailout. There you go. Yeah. What's next for you now in 2021, and what are some of the things on the horizon for you? Professionally, I'm I'm really still interested in what happens to the Republican Party. I think most Democrats, you know, whether they wanted Bernie Sanders or whether they wanted uh, uh, Joe Biden or Bloomberg or anywhere on that spectrum, kind of have an idea of where the country ought to be, right? It, 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 they believe generally that healthcare is is uh, is a fundamental right for everyone, and that. Um, People ought not discriminate, uh, regardless of who they are, how they're born, or what they choose. The Republican Party is in a very different place, right? I mean, there's yeah. there. This is a party that was founded to get rid of slavery, and now their president is going to veto the armed services, the arms, uh, the National Defense Authorization Act, because mm-hmm. it is going to rename Confederate monuments. So, yeah, they need to figure out who they are, where they're going, and how they're going to get there, because this is not sustainable. I mean, you, you don't get to remain a national party if if your mechanism allows someone like Donald Trump to become the nominee. 
Right. right? They think, um, and I was surprised how many told me this four years ago. So, well, he won. Mitt Romney lost and Donald Trump won. Therefore, he yeah. was right. Well, no, that's not what it means. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens next. You know, so that I, I kind of know what the Biden folks will do. I mean, mm -hmm. I will cover the White House, uh, but I, I don't think there are going to be a whole lot of surprises there. Yeah. What is going to be more interesting and more important, frankly, for the future of the country is what happens with the Ted Cruz's and Marco Rubio's and et, et al. when they figure out a way to get Trump uh, yeah. out of their hair and out of our lives. You know, uh, how do they go about that? And that that's important for all of us, whether we're Republicans or not. Well, particularly given the de demographics of their constituents and the states that they're right. in, I'm sure there'll be a lot of um, great curiosity around that transition for them and for others who are in, in other states. And um, do you have a, a sailing adventure planned at all uh, coming up anytime soon? Well, you know, I, I always thought that uh, uh, retirement would be someplace <laughs> that uh, I, uh, I should uh, take the boat and write novels while uh, sampling the local region's uh, red wines. So I'm <laughs> building toward that. And when exactly that will happen, I'm not sure, but uh, that's a goal. It's always good to have a, a goal. Um, goals in mind and lots of great things to look forward to. Um, Sharish, we're so grateful that you joined us for the program. I hope you'll come back and, and join us again sometime.